So I was on a subway the other day. We took a few days off for our own personal Christmas time in New York to see our daughter and to go to a couple of shows. And I'm on the subway, and I see this, this picture. And it intrigues me because I want to know about this priceless wisdom. This is what it, it said there in the subway car. True wisdom is priceless, precious, and practical. It has the power to set people free from the fears and anxieties that hold them back. Philosophy works. Classes offer practical tools for experiencing greater freedom and happiness, inviting you to test the words of the wise in daily life. To test the words of the wise in daily life. I remember back in 1968 when I went to Montclair State College in New Jersey, and uh, I took Philosophy 101. And here I am. I'm, I'm like confused. I have no idea what's going on. You know, but I'm thinking, this is going to put my life together. I am not a Christian. I am a seeker of truth. I am trying to figure things out. So I take Philosophy 101, and I crash and burn. It doesn't work. I can't figure it out. Nobody seems to make any sense at all. Uh, even the professor, I couldn't even figure out what he was talking about. I tanked. It was, seemed, seemed like my, my career in figuring out life and, and needing wisdom was, was over in 1968. But then something happened in my life, and I had another experience in New York right here in front of Macy's, where here you are, 34th Street, the Empire State Building is just down the block, and here's you know, the, the crossroads of shopping in America, Macy's. Uh, and there's a guy just standing in the street, Reminding everybody about Jesus. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus. He's just, he's just standing there. He's not even talking. He's not even saying, hey, come on over. I'm going to talk to you. He's just, he's just God's post-it note right there on that corner. There's two tensions there. There's a tension of, of wisdom as something that maybe you could figure out by listening to other human beings Think lofty thoughts versus the tension of maybe wisdom is embodied in a person. People want to know, and they don't want to know. They want answers without realizing the answers are in a personal relationship with God. That's why the book of Proverbs starts out the way it begins. Proverbs chapter 1. This is the message translation. These are the wise sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king. Written down so we'll know how to live well and right, to understand what life means and where it's going. A manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair, to teach the inexperienced the ropes and give our young people a grasp on reality. There's something here also for seasoned men and women, still a thing or two, for the experienced to learn, fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and reasons of wise men and women, start with God. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Philosophy? Jesus, start with God, the Bible says. 
I saw two shows in New York that were entirely different, yet entirely the same, and I saw them on the same day. I saw one in the afternoon, I saw one in the evening. Matilda, Matilda is, is a children's story based on that character, a young girl who's, who's precocious and, and just has a, an amazing way of seeing life and telling stories. Uh, and then the other story was uh, A View from the Bridge, classic Arthur Miller tale of an Italian-American family in Brooklyn and their struggles. Each story was about the struggle to confront difficult circumstances and turbulent emotions and rise above them. Each one. Children's story, struggle to confront difficult circumstances and rise above them. Arthur Miller's classic tale, the struggle to confront difficult circumstances and rise above them. Why is that? Because most of the time we are struggling with difficult circumstances and turbulent emotions, and we're trying to rise above them. So, so these shows become pictures of our lives that we begin to, to see ourselves in. The question that we face in difficult circumstances is, what do we ultimately believe in when the future appears foggy and intimidating? What do we believe in? What do you and I believe in when the future appears foggy and intimidating? Another way to put it is, what's out there that looks foggy and or intimidating to you right now? Let me tell you a story. Let me take you back thousands of years to one of the the most amazing stories you could ever hear about a man named Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Let's just look at that for a minute. It's just, it's just one verse. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. It's a very definitive statement. It's a, it's a, it's a military kind of statement. We are secure you ain't coming in, we ain't coming out, we're just going to rest in our security. Why? Well, you know something about the story. You've heard about the story before. There are these walls. Let's talk about the walls. Jericho was built on a hill. It was surrounded by embankments. There was a 15-foot retaining wall. On top of that 15-foot retaining wall, was a mud brick wall, six feet thick and 25 feet high. There was another wall that was 45 feet above ground level. In total, if you stood there at ground level, it looked like you were looking up at 70 feet of wall, which is almost twice as high as this church is at its peak. So imagine taking, go outside, see the church, put another one on top of it, And that's kind of what it looked like. Pretty intimidating. Looks pretty secure to me. This harkens back to Deuteronomy in chapter 1, verse 28, where the people knew that they were going to be up against some really stiff odds. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. Now, this is before the term skyscraper ever came into being. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. That's why they didn't want to go. 
That's why they wandered for 40 years. God told them, go. They said, no, enter the wandering scenes. You know, that's a long time to be wandering around. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So that's where we are. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. He says that. What do you think Joshua is thinking at that point? You think he's thinking, that sounds really good. Or you think he's going, how in the world is that going to happen? He's looking up 70 feet high. These walls, they're so intimidating. Okay, this is what you're going to do. March around the city once with all the armed men. It's kind of militaristic. Just do that. Marching. Do this for six days. Okay, six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, the ark of the the covenant. If you saw Indiana Jones, you know what that is. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in. Patton would have said hogwash. He would have probably said something more than hogwash. What does Joshua do? So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. So they have this, the parade begins, the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. So over the walls, people are hearing, and they're going, ooh, this is getting really scary. I think we ought to just have lunch now, don't you think so? All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout, which is where the song Shout came from. (laughs) So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Get the picture. So they do this. They go around once. Then they go back and they camp. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward. Marching for the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets, the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. I want you all to do this with me now. Ready? It's real simple. Just put your hand up here. Everybody together. Ready? And you go home, and people say, what would you do in church today? And you go, 
This is what we did in church today. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And then, because the Bible doesn't want to write the same thing here, you know, another bunch of times, they did, it just says, they did this for six days. Okay. Now, what were, what were the campfire conversations about every night? What do you think they were about? Uh, you think we're going to do this again tomorrow? You think, what do you, what do you think is really going to happen when, after, when we get to the seventh day? What do you think is really going to happen? know, right? Joshua's our leader. We have to do it. What do you think the women are saying? Are you going to go out and march around the city tomorrow? Again? Are you going to blow the trumpets? You know, the trumpets are hurting our ears and it's bothering the, the animals and the children are now making that noise all the time. You know what it's like staying home with children running around? They're going all the time. It's not a lot of fun. So you guys better figure out what you're doing and either take this city or we'll go home. So you got all these conversations that are going on, right? Six days. They did this for six days. But did you ever stop and wonder why? Why? How did Joshua get the the leadership gumption to do this? Well, let me show you the prequel to the Jericho story. I want to thank the, the book unglued by Lisa Turkhurst for kind of pulling back this, this layer because I I'd never really saw this before until I read it. And I said, well, there it is right there. Let me show you the prequel to the Jericho story. At the end of chapter 5, something very significant happens. So we're going to go backwards one page. Joshua 5, verses 9 through 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach, the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal sounds like the Hebrew word roll. So they name the place roll. It, it always reminds me of the story I mentioned to you before. The first time we were able to secure a cabbage patch doll. There was great tension in our family. Our family couldn't survive unless we got a cabbage patch doll. I used to go to Toys R Us like every day, scattered out. You know, I had this whole silly routine. You know, they had the cabbage patch dolls in a cage behind a locked door. And you had to go, I'd like a cabbage patch doll. And people would look around. You have to have ID and pay your money ahead of time. So we finally get a cabbage patch doll for our son, Travis. So we say, Travis, you know, what are you going to name your cabbage patch doll? It was this great moment in the, in the life of our family. And Travis says, I'm going to name him Box. And we said, Travis, why are you going to name him Box? Because he came in a box. And, and just, you know, but that's, that's what happens a lot in the Bible. You know, God said, I'm going to roll this away from you. So they call the place Roll. Roll. That's where it is. It's where God rolled the reproach of Egypt away from us. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at, at Roll on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Now, there's something very significant about this. The manna stopped 
the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. That is a significant moment. All this time, all this time, four decades, they're eating manna. Every day it's on the ground. Every day they go out, they take it. They can only take enough for one day. They've learned for 40 years that God provides food for us every day. But now it's changed. Now you are in a place where you can get food. I don't have to do this anymore. And it's part of the development that God does with us. There are times in our lives when we need to see God showing up and God showing up and God showing up. And then there are times in our lives when God says, I've taught you that I'm faithful. I've taught you that I show up all the time. Now I want you to do things on the strength of what I've taught you. I want you to be brave. I want to use the wisdom of our relationship to build your lives and to experience life the way I've allowed you to experience it. So there's this great turning point, very significant moment. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, here it comes, and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua doesn't know who he is. And Joshua's a little bit taken aback by this. I mean, you're, you're, you're just, you're out there and all of a sudden there's a guy in front of you with a, a drawn sword in his hand. You know, that would signal some kind of danger. There was intimidation there. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, that doesn't mean are you for us in, in terms of, you know, supporting us or for enemies in terms of supporting them. What it means in the way it's constructed is he's trying to figure out, are you an Israelite or are you, you know, a Jerichoite? I don't know if that's the right term or not. But is that, is that, who, you, is that who you are? Neither, he replied. Why does he say neither? Well, that, that's the clue to it's not about support. Neither, he replied. You know, I'm, I'm not a human being, you know, that's a part of, your army. I'm not a human being that's part of their army. I'm something really different. He's going to announce the difference right now. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? This is an angel, the commander of the army of the Lord, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Joshua knows something amazing is about to take place. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, the entire story of The walls of Jericho falling down are based upon that moment. Is based upon that moment. Joshua had to know God deeply and personally in his heart. God couldn't risk sending any army, any troops into battle without the leader being securely entrenched in faith and life 24-7. 365, God knows it doesn't work unless we are 24-7, 
365 committed to everything that he's going to do. Mark Batterson is a, is a pastor and he's a, he's a great writer of significant books that really tell intimate tales about bringing faith and life together. He went to the University of Chicago on a basketball scholarship, studied pre-law, and then he realized that he was called to ministry, that God was calling him. He realized, in a sense, that he was on holy ground. And so he put law aside. He put the basketball scholarship thing aside, basketball career aside. His dream of planting a church had to die, he says, so God could bring it about the way he wanted. And he writes this. I look back on that failed church plant in Chicago. That was painful when it happened. It was embarrassing. But God used that to prepare me for what he wanted to do. I have found most of the dreams God has given me have gone through a death and resurrection. And the purpose is so the ego will die in the process so God can get the glory. This is something the world does not readily understand. You don't, you don't find ego, death, and resurrection on a poster in a subway in New York City. He also cautions leaders to remember the dreams God gives aren't so we can attain lofty positions or be known for grand accomplishments. The purpose of a dream is not just to accomplish that dream. It's about who you become in the process, Batterson, Batterson says. God is able to do big things through you, but it starts with what God wants to do in you. God is able to do big things through you, but it starts with what God wants to do in you. He always does something in us before he does something through us. And that's what was happening right there at the very end of chapter 5. God was doing something in Joshua before he could use Joshua in a very powerful way. And Joshua had to realize who God was and all of his majesty and all of his glory. And, and Joshua had to, to humble himself. And Joshua had to, to realize that, that in deep humility, God had called him. But he needed, he needed to always start every day with a full sense of giving his life back to God. It's the only way... It works. It's the only way God can really use us. Let me tell you about imperfect progress. Imperfect progress is all we have leading us into the future. First, there comes a time in your life to let God roll away the past and start something new. Remember Gilgal, roll. God rolled away their past, their, that they were in slavery in Egypt, that they were humiliated in Egypt. So the questions become, what do you need to let God roll away? What's the, the new life God is allowing you to live? I told you about seeing two shows on Wednesday. One was the matinee, Matilda. The other was the evening show, A View from the Bridge. Matilda was this little kid, very oppressed by her parents. They thought she was nothing. They had no idea of the gift that she was. And yet, as the story proceeds and develops and she struggles through this, this tension with her parents, she's able to roll that away incredibly 
and, and begin this whole new life. It is arguably one of the best stories I have ever seen portrayed anywhere. And if you get to New York, please go to see that show. Please go to see that show. It, it, it can be very life-changing in a very childlike way. That evening, I see a very adult drama, A View from the Bridge, Arthur Miller's passionate story of this Italian-American family. And I look at this family, and, and I go, Mom, Dad. You know, it's like I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of stuff. I'm like, I've seen this story before, okay? The tension and, 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 and the arguing, and, and it was just it was unbelievable. And in that story, in that story, Eddie Carbone was not able to roll away his past and destroyed his life. Your ability to let God roll away the past will define your future. Question, what do you need to roll beyond today? It's not a perfunctory question. What do you need to roll beyond today? Or what do you need, where do you need to hear God say, we're rolling on now. We're rolling on. We're going to call this place where you are, roll. And we're rolling on. We need to hear God say that in your life. Number two. Number one, there comes a time in your life to let God roll away the past and start something new. Number two, you can't face the future without deeply connecting with God today. There's no future without a deep connection with God today. For Joshua, that meant really believing God was in his future every step of the way. That's why that last section of chapter 5 is the springboard for the walls of Jericho coming down. Where do you need to believe God is in your future every step of the way? My daughter-in-law, Nina, writes a blog. I've talked to you about it before, Songs to Sing. It's a great blog. It's about life and faith and family. And, and, and she, she got really into it uh, as the new year came in. And she, she was thinking about all this new stuff that could happen in a new year. And then she writes, then I heard the voice, stay the course. And she says, this is the worst New Year's resolution ever. Admit it. No one wants this goal. Stay the course. I want to do something new. I want to start something new. New things are just shinier, as if they won't require the heavy lifting of these burdensome familiar tasks. Maybe I'll get more credit. Be less annoyed. Maybe it won't be hard. A lot of you are called to big changes this year. Go for it. Say the big yes. Take the leap. Shake things up. Do what you have been waiting to do and what you know it's time for or past time for. But does anyone else need to join me in the worst resolution ever? Are you already in school? Finish. Do you have a job? Get better at it. Are you married? Stay married. Keep parenting. Keep being a neighbor to your old neighbors and being a friend to your old friends. Love the people you already love deeper. Keep showing up at those places that expect you and contribute more. Trade out new projects for new habits. New habits to enable you to keep on keeping on. Stay the course. You can't face the future without deeply 
connecting with God today. Third, imperfect progress is rooted in imperfect change. Imperfect changes are slow steps of progress wrapped in grace. You failed, wrap it in grace. You lied, wrap it in grace. You didn't forgive and then you did, wrap it in grace. You want to be at the top and tumbled, wrap it in grace. Lisa Turkhurst puts it this way, it's okay to have setbacks and need and the need for do-overs. It's okay to draw a line in the sand and start over again and again. When I talk about four laws of change, I always talk about pace, free will, vulnerability, and God's grace, because God's grace wraps it all together. But do you know what's the most difficult about the laws of change? It's the law of vulnerability. It's the law of vulnerability. So here's the question you don't want to have to answer, but you have to answer if you're going to believe that imperfect progress is rooted in imperfect change. Question, what am I most scared about and who can I talk to about that? What am I most scared about in my life right now and who can I talk to about that? Because when we don't talk, we're not being brave. When we don't talk, we're not solving anything. When we don't talk about what we're scared about, nothing happens. Fourth, learning and growing in your faith is the best advantage you will ever leverage. It works in relationships, and it works in business, and it works in your finances, and it works in your education, because who you believe in makes all the difference in the world. And that's why we have these amazing faith and life classes Uh, with a preview today and kicking off next week. And if I was sitting where you're sitting, I'd be in one of those classes next week. I'd be here for the preview. You look at that. You look at that handout. The classes are amazing. Fifth, imperfect progress begins when you know you're standing on holy ground. And you're always standing on holy ground when God is with you. Because it's his holiness it has nothing to do with us. Imperfect progress begins when you know you're standing on holy ground, when you know God is with you. Joshua 6. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city Seven times, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord, devoted to the Lord. Last verse, 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land because people are still waiting to see what can happen when people are fully devoted to God and what God can do. Joshua's big secret of imperfect progress is not so big a secret. The big secret of the walls of Jericho is not so big a secret. Joshua knew he was standing on holy ground every day. And honestly, I didn't expect it. But last night, 
a letter showed up for you. Dear friends, I know it's hard for you to not have all the answers to the future. And I know it's hard to endure the imperfect progress of your lives. You pray for relief. You want answers. So let me give you some answers I've given to my followers for thousands of years. First, your best future is based on where you're connecting with me today. You know I don't want anything perfunctory, musty, or rote. To use your terminology, I have no taste for shake-and-bake religion. It is agonizing for me to endure superficial allegiance. I desire a deep, abiding sense in your soul that without me and the demands of your day, you wouldn't make it through. You know your strength isn't enough. We've been through this many times. I do understand your frustrations, your outbursts, your waffling, and your pain. I'm with you in all of it. I can help you stabilize it. I can help you make sense of it. I can help you see the emotional value of every tear, the holy currency of every defeat, the redemptive potential of each selfless moment you invest in relational integrity. Your imperfect progress is always rooted in my love and grace. Abide in me. Secondly, remember you're always on holy ground because of me. The future can look like an insurmountable 70-foot-high wall. The future can look intimidating and ominous. The future can look mysteriously encrypted with symbols you can't make heads or tails of. But that's where my power to unravel your world comes into play. My will is ultimately going to win. My will for you will come to pass. I will accomplish my will in your relationships. Through your joy and pain, I will prevail. I will accomplish my will through the resources and gifts I have placed in your hands. I will cause you to think thoughts you never had before and dream dreams of things that will manifest in reality someday. All of this is because of my plan for all mankind to see my glory and to know my son and to be led by my spirit into a future that cannot be seen or heard for, for all its gleaming grandeur. And the only way to get there is by the imperfect progress of your souls, blessed by my holy hands. You will see walls tumble down. Be brave. You will see life beyond heartbreak. Be brave. You will see resurrection life. Be brave. Keep following. Be brave. I am the way. God. Dear Heavenly Father, Help us to learn the lessons that are true wisdom from the story of Joshua. Those walls that were so intimidating, they came down because of who you are. So Father, let us see you bring down those walls in our lives. Open up those pathways where we need to walk with integrity and faith and love and grace. Father, do inside of us whatever you need to do so that you can do something through us. Father, we are honored to serve you, the one true God. All of our wisdom begins with knowing you. In Jesus' name.